guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Welcome back to the Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. This is your host, Melissa, and I'm back for another episode of Women in Wine, featuring stories about some badass women in history. But before we get started, I have a little bit of news. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be launching a new segment, and it's called Minisodes with Mel. So yes, you've guessed it. These are short little episodes featuring me, and I'm going to start sharing some personal stories about my life with you guys, because I figure this is a storytelling podcast, and I talk about everybody else's stories, (laughs) and maybe I should start sharing mine. Um, But they're going to be really short, only about 15 to 20 minutes, and to be honest, the real reason why I'm launching this is because I think this is the perfect episode where I can start featuring all of your voicemails. So I've been telling you guys for a while now that we have a podcast phone number, and we have received a couple voicemails from some of our audience, and they're so good that I worry if I put them in one of our regular episodes, they'll just blend in or they won't stand out because the episode is so, you know, full of information about lots of things. And so I really want to highlight these voicemails. So I'm going to make these short little episodes. I'm going to do a little tidbit about my life and then they're going to end with you. So call in and be on this episode with me because that would be so fun. So the voicemail phone number is 562-270-4914. And you can always call to tell me a story about a woman of the week, somebody in your life that's super special and you want to shout out. Or you can just call and say what's up and let me know how you're liking the show and where you live and who you are and just say hi. And I will literally put that voicemail in my episode and it will be awesome. So call in because I can't wait to hear from you. All right. Well, let's get into introducing our next guest. She is a new friend of mine and she's somebody that's been dying to tell a story about one of her fave ladies. So give it up for Marisol. Hi. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to be here. Hi. I am so happy you're here. So exciting. So you guys, we met through like a friend blind date, which is so cool. Um, and I'm very excited about it. But one of our f- mutual friends basically was like, hey, you guys live near each other. You guys should totally hang out. So I just recently moved to El Segundo, like the LA area, and I don't have a single friend out here. And so my BFF Julie was like, girl, I got you. And next thing I know, I am meeting Marisol for drinks at a bar and we're hanging out and it's fucking cool. (laughs) And now we're recording a podcast. Not to mention this is during covid and mm-hmm. to be honest, wildly uncomfortable, not even the social aspect, but it was my first time truly leaving the house except for grocery store, honestly, in like 
eight months. Um, and it was really great. We met and we had a drink. Um, I told her what I'd be wearing, what my hair would look like. And, uh, <laughs> Honestly, it was semi-embarrassing because the waitress made it seem like this is just old hat. And she's like, hey, I was like, um, can I get a, a menu? And she's like, oh, just just scan the thing on the table. And I was like, uh, with like what? what? Are we in the future? <laughs> she's like, do you have an iPhone? I was like, yeah. And I was like, do I need to download an app? And she's like, no, just your camera. And I was like... Am I 90? Like, why didn't I know about this? She made it seem like, does everyone know about this? Like, did you know about it? I have. I did know about it because um, I was actually, like, in San Diego right around the time that shit started to get really crazy with COVID. And for whatever reason, like, the San Diego County hadn't closed their restaurants yet. So I happened to have been down there. And... We went to a restaurant and I was totally tripped out because I was like, but wait, like, I'm not allowed to go to restaurants back in LA. Like, should I be (laughs) doing this? Like, I'm kind of freaked out. Um, And that was the first time that I actually I went to a restaurant during this weird pandemic and they did the same thing. And the funny thing is that they had like every window in this place wide open. And this was like in March and it wasn't nice weather yet. So it was blowing wind it was so cold but they had to have the windows open to keep things fresh i guess right, so filter yeah. the air because so no we one were, knows what the hell they're doing so yeah we're, like, we're just we were, like shivering in this restaurant like dying but no that was the first time we were like how does this work what do we do <laughs> i just felt immediately so old i'm like do you print the food like is this what's happening like have i just been inside this long that i i'm old <laughs> Yeah, this is the future. Nobody can touch anything anymore. It's just... Yeah, and honestly, I was freezing when we met too, but I got a couple drinks in me and I was fine after that. Um, But it was really great. It was really exciting. I trusted my friend uh, Julie as well and we clicked and I got super excited to do the podcast. Um, And actually, it's been kind of stressful figuring out exactly who to share and do all of that, but I'm happy to be here and glad we can make it work. And I'm looking forward to hearing who you picked. Yeah, and you're in your closet right now, and it looks so nice and cozy. (laughs) All right, so for everyone listening um, who probably enjoys podcasts, if you're listening to this podcast, and I feel like Phoebe Judge from Criminal, because I heard that she started recording in her closet and so I was like yes this is what I'm gonna do I have a baby I have hardwood floors um and so now I'm using child pads on the floor surrounded by clothing um with a bottle of wine and a microphone hell yeah (laughs) that's literally the definition of podcasting (laughs) it's that's it right there that's all you need you need a bottle of wine a microphone a little tiny room and that's about it so you you nailed it for your first for your first go. Killing it. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Well, so what are you drinking? You have some wine tonight? Um, yeah, so I picked up a bottle of uh well for a couple reasons. Uh La Crema wine, which is pretty bougie, I think, right? Medium bougie. And um I didn't look at the price because I just didn't want to know and it did have a sale <laughs> sticker. So I was like, okay, I'll just pick it up. Um so in fi- in fitting with the theme today, um, I did um, this wine because it was made in Monterey. Um, so it's a California wine and um, delightful. Um, Pinot Noir. So it's a light red. This is about as max as I go on reds. Yeah. Pinot Noir is my favorite red for sure. Okay. And what about this snazzy wine glass that you have? 
Yes. It's so a chalice. <laughs> it is a, it's a goblet. Um, and the cool thing about this is that it's from the Madonna Inn, which is a uh, little hotel. I feel like it's more than a hotel, but it's like a hotel experience. Um, gosh, where is that? San? Is it San Luis Obispo? By Paso, it's by Paso Robles. So kind yeah, of yeah, that, okay. Um, the southern central part coast of is central. that what they call mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah, the southern part of Central Coast, um, and. It is a like Swiss style chalet. Chalet? Is that how you say it? Chalet? Yeah. And it's pink and it's called the Madonna Inn. And every single room they have is completely themed and themed differently. So there's not one room that's alike. Um, the restaurant um, and glass shop, glassery, um, is just gaudy. And so awful that it's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, we just stopped and ate breakfast there because, to be honest, as you know, California people like you don't do the touristy things necessarily for like a really really long time in your life you know except for like the zoo so it was like a wild experience we drive up to northern California all the time and we stopped and um we've done it twice and so we have this was our wedding um chalice goblet oh my Um, god how cool my husband and I had him at our wedding and we um well I guess what did we drink out of it mimosas Oh, nice. Um, Because we had a morning breakfast wedding. so On brand. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So what about you? Well, I was going to ask about the Madonna Inn. You mentioned it was a Swiss hotel. Is the whole like... like, No, it's like Swiss themed. Is it kind of like that weird little Danish town in Solvang? Oh, Solvang. Um, It's not quite as extreme because, (laughs) because... I don't know. Actually, to be honest, I haven't been to Solvang. I've always wanted to go, but I feel like that's more traditional Dutch. Yeah. This has like god awful pink wallpaper and like okay. green wallpaper. There's a bit of like 70s thrown yeah. in there, whereas I feel like Dutch is an ethnicity. Yeah. This is like a genre. <laughs> okay. Um it's tacky. And so if you look like the rose, so there's rose wallpaper, there's uh-huh. rose adornments everywhere, there's fake flowers and it's just everything you want it to, to be and also a nightmare and yet somehow magical so the rose is printed on here um it's very themed so cool well i am also drinking wine tonight and i sometimes theme my wine with the woman that i'm covering but this is polar opposite to the woman that i'm covering tonight the bottle is called Lazy Bones, and there is a <laughs> naked lady sprawled out on, like, a bed on the front of it, and this woman is Is this, far... like, a Vaughn's pickup, or, like... Trader Joe's. <laughs> Tr- Trader <laughs> Joe's. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, but, yeah, this lady is far more reflective of myself, not anywhere close to the woman i'm covering on tonight's show and it's so funny when i was grabbing this out of the kitchen about to record my boyfriend saw it and he goes hey that's you i was like yes yes it is (laughs) This is this is why i grabbed this bottle and i have to read it because there is the funniest little note on the back so they and i've said this before i have like two dream jobs outside of podcasting i want to like write gift cards greeting cards mm -hmm. and i want to write the funny shit that people put on like wine labels because it is hilarious so listen to this it says i don't care if you call me lazy bones 
I love to lounge away the day alone. Why mix with others when being myself is so beautiful? When the day's at my pace, I can relish small pleasures like ripe cherries, spiced blackberries, the aroma of sweet wood and fresh herbs. After all, there's no shame in putting off for today what can truly wait till tomorrow. Wow. What I love is that they think, I mean, you did, but you love words. Uh (laughs) I wonder how many people have never read that. Oh my God. I am all about the label. And uh, I, I have to report the wine isn't my favorite, which again, for as lazy as I am, all I went for was label and ran out the door. Um, but it's a Cabernet Franc, and I think that's why I don't love it. It's super chalky. It's like mm, yeah. very dry to the mouth, which I wouldn't imagine lazy people liking dry textured wine. But I think they were lazy when they made it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> and and like are you going to drink it? You're oh, drinking yeah. it. I always drink them. I don't care how much That's I don't commitment. like it. I drink the wine. I don't ever, a no bottle goes wasted here. So, um, I mean, I, I like it enough. I'd say like on a scale, of like one to 10, I'd say it's like a four. I would imagine mm. it would be really good if it just wasn't so chalky. So if anybody out there really likes that like chalky tanniny flavor, you'll love it. Trader Joe's, Lazy Bones, hop on over there. And it's a Paso Robles, which I think is like Central Coast like yours. So we're killing I love it. That when I said like, it's a wine from California, like there a lot of them are from California. <laughs> like I said it like it was novel. I don't know. <laughs> well, oh my just- God, I've been trapped in a house for nine months. All right. <laughs> You know what? You're just given the facts and figures. People appreciate yeah. it. It could have yeah. been a New Zealand wine, you know? How do we know? Okay, cool. Well, should we get into it? Are we ready? Is the time is the time come? I'm ready. Okay. Would you would you want to kick us off? Oh, so I just start. All right. Um, okay. So I chose uh, well let's this is November. It's November, so uh, November is Native American Heritage Month. Um, in light of that, in light of just current times, uh, and in light of the fact that this is being released on Thanksgiving, um, I chose to do a Native American woman. So I definitely, um, there are so many options. There were so many options and it was nice, um, to really be inspired by a category. And I decided to go with someone who is a little bit more, uh, recent than, past past history. Uh, and the exciting thing is every person that I asked <laughs> was like, I don't know who that is. And I even asked my parents because it would have been of, of their generation. And mm-hmm. my dad's like, Mm-mm. Um, but I'll share a little detail later. And then you'll hear um, when he did remember. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so he ended that. up it clicked later on. Um, yes, it clicked later on um, after I shared some details that I'll share about halfway through about okay, her. So cool. she um, struck a chord with him. <laughs> awesome. um, okay. So Mary Louise Cruz, a.k.a. Sashin Littlefeather. Have you heard of her? No, I haven't. She is an Apache actress, uh, activist for Native American rights, um, but she is best known for causing a massive uproar in the 1973 Academy Awards when she got up on stage and calmly turned down Marlon Brando's Best Actor accolade for The Godfather. Oh, wow. So 
Sashin, and I'm going to refer to her as Sashin since that is her Native American name. Um, Sashin was born Marie Cruz on November 14th, 1946. So she is a Scorpio like myself. Um, And I was really excited about that. And she was born in Salinas, California. Her mom, who was Caucasian and a leather stamper, trained in Phoenix, Arizona, which is super cool. Um, And that's where she met Sashin's father, who is Native American, and he is part of the White Mountain Apache and the, I should have looked this up, Yakui, maybe, Y-A-Q-U-I, I feel like I'm, somebody's gonna at me, no, um, so, <laughs> good, we don't have good any historians here, uh, calling us out, not yet, at least, good, <laughs> So um, they met there, but they did end up moving to Salinas, California, because interracial marriage was illegal in Arizona at the time. Keep in mind, this is 1946, and I just like to state that because, again, I'm sharing about something that was not that long ago, and I think people forget. I think we live in California, and we also think we're super liberal in California, and it's just, it's, it just isn't always that way, right? So, mm-hmm. uh all right, so she, uh, they moved to Salinas, California, um, and her mother was still pregnant, so that's why she ended up being born there. They opened up their own business called Cruise Saddlery, where they um, handmade leather um, horse saddles for horseback oh, cool. riding. And what's really cool about it is that not only is the family still known there, just as far as like the work that they did there, they made a reputation in that. Um, but then of course, Sashin herself, you know, is, is well known there and has a history there. So get into that more. Uh, her father, unfortunately, was a violent alcoholic um, who did not value women at all. Um, oh, and it was really cool because I did pick up there were some articles that were interviews with her. So I was really appreciative of that. There were things that were in her own words and quotes instead of just like stories about mm-hmm. her. Um, Cause of course there's a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, so I tried my hardest, but she said that just being a female was a drawback and around him, she was very quiet and it was the best way to be. So it really kind of molded who she was as a child, which is sad. Do you happen to know if she was an only child or did she have siblings? Um, she does. I know she has a brother, but it didn't talk much about that childhood. It really spoke about her. Yeah. So I don't know if it's her full. I'm not aware if it's like her full brother or not. Um, I didn't look into that further. But when they speak about like, her grandparents, t- mm-hmm. you know, taking custody of her, they don't mention her and her siblings. They just say her. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Uh, so she uh, described her mother as a free spirit. And with that being said she left her daughter with the grandparents. So she was really raised by her mother's parents. So uh, a white family, Caucasian family. And um, she was kind of a loner. Um, Mm. She was a big writer, which I thought you would really appreciate, right? As you are a writer and love writing. Um, And she said it was her outlet. So a simple little poem like this. I slippy and I slidey over everybody's Heidi. I'm just a little bar of soap. Really funny. <laughs> I love that. It's so smart. Uh, so she um, spent some time with her mother, though, on occasion, and they traveled uh, through Mississippi. And I don't know. Have you ever been? Have you ever been to Mississippi or the South? I have been to the South. I've not been to Mississippi, but I've been to like New Orleans. I've been to Georgia, South Carolina. Yeah, same. I've been all over. And to be honest, when she mentioned this, like, of course, like, there are people everywhere that are fantastic, but it definitely was crazy to think um, 
that she went to Mississippi and just experienced just blatant racism, right? So um, she realized she was different. She didn't really realize how different she was because she was surrounded by, she knew she was somewhat different, but she was surrounded by a Caucasian family. She was a part of their family. So it didn't really impact her until they traveled outside of California. And when they used the restroom, her mom went into the white restroom and she went into the black only restroom um, and wasn't allowed in the white restroom with her mother. Um, And that's something that she remembered vividly, signs that said no dogs or Indians allowed. How insane. Right? And it just seems like so out of place um, and so long ago, but it just like really floored me researching that. So as a teenager, though, when she grew up, she decided that it was time to explore her ethnicity a bit more. Um, She was tired of Caucasian this, Caucasian that, as she put it. Uh, She learned about being an Indian while in college. She frequented the San Francisco Indian Center and joined the other urban Indians in occupying Alcatraz in 1965. Nice. Uh, So, the occupation of Alcatraz um, was not led by her. She was one of the attendees. She wasn't mm-hmm. one of the main protesters. But it was there that she learned about her culture, which I thought was super cool, is the actual protesters there would take a group of the people that were joining and supporting them and teach them the old ways about sweat lodges and sacred pipe and cedar and sage um, off-site at a traditional camp. So mm-hmm. she really got immersed uh, in her culture. And so she learned how to skin a rabbit, how to dry a hide. Uh, she learned about the dances and the drum. And her Navajo friends nicknamed her Sashin. So that's how she got her name. A word she says means little bear. And she liked the name and took it. So that is what she started um, being called. All right, so she turned to acting and modeling as an adult, which is uh, an escape. I think a lot of people say that about acting and modeling. It's like an escape from something. And she was able to pretend to be, you know, somebody else. So um, she got an acting education with a scholarship to the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. And she also got a radio, a local radio job in San Francisco. So she was like, on her way to doing awesome things and being an actor, but she was never able to really break through into Hollywood. Uh, She did land a spread in Playboy magazine. Ding, ding, ding. This is where (laughs) my father remembered who she was after I I pulled up. Um, So what's interesting is she did land a spread in Playboy, which... I don't know. Everyone's probably got different feelings about that. But when it comes to L.A., when it comes to Hollywood, honestly, that was like a break. That was like a big break to be put in Playboy magazine. You know, it is like the olden day what Kim Kardashian did, you know, oh, yeah. Just a little scandal enough to, you know, but it's I like think also the people were like, like, it was a big deal if you were even invited to be on Playboy. I feel like it was kind of like the elite women or whatever. Elites, yeah. It's funny to think of it now, but when we really think about it, it's kind of like the Baby It's Cold Outside song. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still sing along, but... <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But I'm also offended, but mm-hmm. I also can't stop singing. <laughs> uh so so yeah so she was supposed to do a spread um called 10 little indians which i think is in poor taste but that's what it was um and this was in the 1970s so 1973 um but it was just the kind of thing that would have really launched her career and she was interested in doing it but 
within that year that they had planned that, the occupation of Wounded Knee um, in February 1973 prompted the people at Playboy to pull the photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the photo shoot had already happened, but just pull actually doing the spread. What makes me laugh is I'm surprised Hustler Mag- Magazine didn't like jump on board just with pick that. Just it up? Actually, you know what? They probably did. They probably had something. They were so um, offensive. They liked being <laughs> offensive. So anyway, so she didn't get um, that spread. Um, and then kind of lost, I guess, that big break in that way. So what's super, super interesting, though, and this is where she becomes known, known for advocacy, is after uh, DOJ prohibited the media from um, the Wounded Knee site. So they were kind of blacklisting, like, people being able to actually go um, and report on the protest that was happening. Marlon Brando, in an aim to support, kind of took it upon himself and asked Sashin Littlefeather um, to speak at the 45th Academy Awards on his behalf, which is crazy that in 1973, there had already been 45 Academy Awards. Like, how... Like, when did that start? You know, like, how, how old is TV? Like, I don't even know. Like, I know I know, but I don't really know. And it seems like very long ago to me. So she went to the Academy Awards on his behalf. And um, he had been nominated for his performance in The Godfather. And the assumption was to his whole camp that he was going to win. Uh, So she appeared at the ceremony in traditional Apache clothing. Uh, when his name was announced uh, as the winner, she walked up on stage and she declined. She just put like a palm up and kind of pushed it away and she declined the award um, due to the poor treatment of Native Americans in the film industry. So this oh, wow. was <laughs> this was her Kanye Taylor Swift moment. <laughs> And um, she improvised the speech. So Marlon Brando, she had like a speech in her hand, but she already knew that it wasn't going to go down well. Like they were not happy that she was there in his proxy. And she decided to like adjust what she was going to say and not read his full speech, which was quite long. Um, And she was forewarned that if she took longer than one minute to accept the award, she would physically be removed from stage. Which like what? Right? They don't remove drag her by her arms and feet. Yes, yes. That's insane. Which is just crazy how accepted the. Well, so I'll keep going because it's because it gets it gets worse. So when she says her her spiel, which is pretty much like I'm here on behalf of you know um, the Native American people and aiming to get them a different. have them be seen in a different light, be portrayed appropriately, be portrayed by actual Native American actors instead of people in face paint. And um, midway through, she was booed and jeered from the audience. And even, this is crazy, even Clint Eastwood, who, like the Clint Eastwood, made a comment on like the, I think he was presenting the female award and he was like, oh, um, for the mistreatment of cowboy actors in films, you know, he like completely mocked and diminished what she said, which is so interesting that it's like, you know, I asked my parents if they like knew about it. Like it doesn't stand out to them. You know, it's kind of one of those things like, have you, like you hadn't heard about it. Like to me, that's Mm -hmm. a pretty big deal um, to have this big interrupted thing to make like a stand politically, if you will, uh, to take a knee and like no one knows about it. Like, I, didn't, I don't know a single person that I asked that had any even frame of reference of this event. Maybe, I mean, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to, like, maybe because it was, like, the only one where, like, today there are several different types of people and industries of people that are doing it. So it's kind of like, oh, it's a movement now where maybe people are just kind of like, what the fuck is this bitch doing? I think, were well, they, do they think she was, like, crazy? Were they like, have you gone mad? Like, maybe I mean, I they guess- just didn't take her seriously. I think they didn't take her seriously. And I think the other thing is, I guess media, I forget that like media was not how it is now. So it's not like it spread like wildfire. If you don't want something to spread in 1973, it didn't. Yeah, totally. Not the, not the case now. So, um, one thing it did do is that it did get some media attention and it brought attention to wounded knee. So as much as the actual speech itself wasn't a success, like initially, um, it definitely did ripple through how they wanted it to. And it started bringing attention to wounded knee. There was at a time like negotiations and talks and, um, there was different things that did come from that attention. So, in that way, it was successful. Um, then, on the heels of the controversy, uh, Playboy did launch a year later her photos. But at this point, she's blacklisted from the community. I mean, no one's interested in like the crazy nut that went on trying to talk about Native Americans because nobody yeah. cared. You know? Yeah, totally. Okay, so she does claim that she was blacklisted. And the thing is, is that she didn't have a super successful career previous to this incident so it's so she's saying she's blacklisted and people argue like you weren't that good anyway so you know whatever so diminishing again like who she was and the efforts Mm -hmm. that she put in um so she also there was an assassin um I'm doing air quotes. An assassination attempt on her. There's no, like, real proof, but she had gone to Marlon Brando's house, I think, a couple days later, and there were gunshots, and no one was hurt, but somebody, like, shot and tra- an attempted assassination. So, it wasn't... Like, um, her specifically? Against her or Brando, oh. not sure, but they were oh, both representative okay. of the same you know, concept, um, and the same message. Uh, so yeah, so it was definitely, um, high tension for her. Um, and the speech was credited, like I said, bringing attention to wounded knee. Um, and actually Coretta Scott King, which is Martin Luther King's wife, um, called little feather to thank her for the speech. And she says that for her, that was huge. Like she felt like she really was successful if someone, um, as revered as her and on that same mission and path, um, acknowledged her, it was really valuable to her, which Mm -hmm. I thought was super cool. And then Jada Pinkett Smith boycotted um, Academy Awards as well. And she did cite um, Little Feather as an inspiration to do so. So I think that that the ripple effect was there. And that's part of the reason I got really pumped about who she was, because your voice means something. Mm hmm. You don't have to be a huge, famous person. You take advantage of a voice and a platform, no matter how small or how large. Um, That's really meaningful. And I feel like there are a lot of people these days with more platform than ever before that don't do anything to take Mm -hmm. a stand for it. So it was super, it's like, I hate to say badass, but it was super badass um, that she took that upon herself she should have known that it was a huge risk to to her career where she probably realized you know that she by doing this she would be jeopardizing her career in this industry yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's a very simple act that had huge effects. So she did end up landing a job at a radio station because she had that previous experience. And she remained an advocate for Native American rights and for Native American actors. Um, And she knew she was on the right track um, again when she got a a note later um, from Coretta. So... At this point, um, her life took another turn when she turned 29. So that's the thing, too. She's super young. Um, so in her mid-20s, uh, when she did this, um, she became terminally ill at the age of 29, and her lungs collapsed, and she got super sick. And what was super interesting is that she was given a year to live, and she was bleeding internally. I didn't find out. There was no detail on what, like, what it is, you know, that caused that. There was no actual diagnosis that I could find. But she does attribute holistic healing and Native American medicine um, for her recovery. And from that recovery, she then decided to earn a degree in health with a minor in Native American medicine. How cool. Uh, which I think was just like, it was just her fate to like continue to mm-hmm. grow and advocate within the Native American community. Because at any point, I feel like she could have just like, not done any of this. Like she Mm -hmm. could have just given up at any point. So she started studying nutrition, uh, and wanted to see where all the white food came from. So she started to know her culture and like what foods they ate. And then everyone in this time period was enamored with white flour, white sugar, white lard. Um, so she went to the land of white food and went to Sweden and lived in (laughs) Stockholm and wanted to do everything, um, travel the world, um, go to Europe where white people came from and learn more about how their culture, because white people were always coming into the reservations and spreading their culture. So she wanted to go into white universe, I don't know, and spread, you know, Indian, um, medicine and knowledge and Native American history. So she actually attributes a lot of those foods to the Native health problems um, that began, you know, on reservations and the unhealthy um, environment. So she decided to um, tap into that, write articles about nutrition, work with tribes, um, and spent time teaching those traditional Indian medicines um, at programs at St. Mary's Hospital in Tucson, Arizona, which is so crazy because that's where she came from and wasn't able to be born in. So she's just making big impacts on, um, have you heard that quote? It made me think of that quote that I just saw on a meme that said, um, go to the places that made you cry and laugh. No, I've never, I've never heard that. Something like that. It's just super, I I got it wrong. I botched it. I'm sure. But it's like super powerful to be like, yeah, like, right. This is where all the hard shit happened Mm -hmm. and I'm going to make good shit happen. Yeah. That's really Um, cool. So I thought that was super inspiring. She also, um, you know, performed, performed Native American um, cultures, worked with PBS on a number of shows, um, helped to appropriately cast and maintain, like, cohesive story um, for Dances with Wolves, which is super popular. And I think one of the larger films that brought Indian, like, true Indian culture to mainstream media in a non-offensive way. And she uh, continued to do um, Native American community and focus uh, really for her whole career. Um, The other really awesome thing she did was help Mother Teresa with AIDS patients and founded the American Indian AIDS Institute of San Francisco. So all sticking with California, all sticking with like Bay Area where she has her roots, um, campaigned against uh, obesity, alcoholism and diabetes and specifically assisted Native Americans with AIDS, including her brother. 
Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, super, super impactful. Um, and she's still alive today, which is really great. There's actually a film coming out um, about her uh, that is on, like, the... What do they call that? Um, independent movie film... What? Sundance. What are those called? Oh, film festival. Yeah, yeah, like an indie film or something. Yes, like all the indie film circuits, mm-hmm. which are probably delayed and weird right now. Like, yep. so, so more is coming out about her. But it did say that in 2018 she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Is she like huh. in her like like super old? If she was born, oh my god, she was don't born in the math. 40s, right? <laughs> She was born in 1946, so... So she owed. 56. 76, 86, 96. I can never do math. 2006. 2016. She's just in her 50s. I just did that on my hands. Oh, I was literally pulling up my calculator. I won't even use my hands. (laughs) That's so embarrassing. I just did that on my hands. That is literally how I count all the things. So do I. I mean, I I can't even do simple multiplication. Like, I'm not a math person, so whatever. Did you see me on our date trying to add the tip? (laughs) It didn't. didn't. Oh, God. I was there for a while. (laughs) It's hard. Math is hard. We have a podcast. We don't do math. (laughs) That's what I always tell myself. Fuck it. Um, so yeah, so she's just in her fifties. Um, but I haven't heard any, you know, any, I tried looking what's going on with her in 2020. She's done some interviews. She finally read Marlon Brando's full long speech. Um, she had it recorded just recently cause, cause it, it never fully got out there. Um, so I thought she was super cool to be honest. It, um, really moved. It was just like so inspiring. Like it's just little consistent, action well Um, and i'm i would be really curious to know like what how she feels today when she sees other people taking the same stances that she took back at that academy awards like when she sees colin kaepernick take a kneel or when she sees i think there was a women's softball team or basketball team that just refused to play in support of black lives matter like just all of these people sort of using their positions where you know they i mean they're they're public figures in a sense and so they feel that it's like partially their job or social responsibility to at least stand up for the things that they believe in or their teams believe in and i mean i i would love to know like what she thinks about that if she's just like blown away by it or if she feels proud of it or if she wonders you know like hey did i did I start this? Like, I don't know. That's just so crazy. I definitely think that the other thing it inspired me to do, and I feel like it just depends kind of what your background is, but I am actually not Caucasian at all. Um, but I also don't have a huge connection to my ethnic roots. And I think Mm -hmm. that yes, if you have a platform to speak out against things, that's fantastic maybe in your interpersonal life, you're just an advocate for and vocalize. But I think the other thing is like really just getting to know yourself Mm -hmm. better and your own roots and culture better is literally just as powerful. Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of ways, aside from what she did with Marlon Brando, like that's what she was doing when she was a teenager, finding her roots, like honoring those roots. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's a really, um, actual thing that everyone can do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that I think is super successful. So I found her super inspiring for this month. Um, and I think for these times, like shit is crazy out there. It is crazy. And it's a nice reminder, um, nice, offensive, I don't know, but it's a reminder that like, it's all still happening. And there's things that we can all do to like make a difference. And to be honest, even like, like even that knowing if it's okay to say Indian or is it Native American like I don't want to say the wrong thing and that's definitely one of those things that like I can do to like honor this community is Mm -hmm. just make sure on my end I'm representing like appropriately but I thought she was a pretty um cool chick and um really glad that I know even more about her now yeah how cool thanks for presenting her I I mean I've never heard of her I would be curious to ask my dad if he has (laughs) Um, and then google the playboy images which by the way was like (laughs) i guess i just don't google a lot of playboy images uh and i googled it and i thought "Ooh, this is gonna come up with like nipple blocks for sure and then i guess i just don't have like those kind of restrictions because it was just like it was all there and i was like oh yeah 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 on my work computer (laughs) oh my god right (laughs) awesome that was super cool and i i don't know i just i love that story and you're right she is a she's not only a great person for this month or for this thanksgiving season but just totally totally her entire story and everything she stood for is something that people today can absolutely relate to and and stand behind so that's really awesome yeah and you can change she like was not that person when she was young yeah like really young like a kid yeah and she like decided to be different like Mm -hmm. That shit's powerful, and it really is work, but it is that easy to just decide to be, you know, to be different. So so cool. And I think that that's, like, inspiring for this podcast overall. It's exactly what you did, you know? Like, you're just, I have a voice, and I'm going to use it. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to me. <laughs> Here I am. Good luck. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I'm going to get started, and... I unintentionally picked somebody who I think actually is super fitting for this little Thanksgiving holiday season, mostly because, for instance, I don't, I've never heard of this woman. I don't know anything about her story. And to be honest, I am not educated on any of the history that took place in our country that I'm going to talk about in this story. And after reading this, I was blown the fuck away um and I felt nothing but just complete thankfulness and it clicked and I was like oh shit this is releasing on Thanksgiving and I feel nothing but thankfulness so this is perfect (laughs) um but this story is really heavy this woman is so gnarly in like the best way possible um and I'm just super stoked about it and I hope that people Um, if they didn't know anything about this, feel really grateful after this story's over because I, that's just exactly how I feel. So to get started tonight, I am covering Lucy Gonzalez Parsons and she was an American labor organizer, a radical anarchist and socialist who fought relentlessly for the rights of the working class people. So never heard of her. I'm super excited. I talk a lot of shit about my corporate job and working a nine to five. And, you know, like 
my dream would be to not work a nine to five and sort of be having my own gig. But once I got done reading about Lucy and the story, I was like, I can never talk shit about my job again because the fact that I have a nine to five, I get paid a reasonable mm-hmm. wage, I have health benefits, there's a huge like labor laws that have my back and are there for me to make sure I'm being treated properly. Like that would not exist if it wasn't for Lucy and all the people that fought to the death in this story to make sure that we had that today. So blown the fuck away. Um, and I'm going to stop talking shit because I, I shouldn't. Like, I can't. I, I literally yeah. can't. After learning about Lucy, I can't talk shit anymore. So, damn, I'm going to be super grateful after this. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll tell you a little bit about her story, but to start, there's very little information known about her childhood and her early life because she refused to speak about it to anybody. Many historians have tried really hard to research about her life and her her past before she like really boomed in the public, but there's tons of conflicting accounts, and so the information I'm going to tell is what I've collected from various resources and what most people describe about her however it's not fact and it's up for speculation so take what i say with a grain of salt as it comes to her life so lucy was born lucia carter in texas around 1853 during the civil war era and it's very likely that her parents were slaves some speculate that her mother's slave owner may in fact have been lucy's father But Lucy Mm -hmm. denies that she was a child of former slaves, and Mm. she states that she's Native American and Mexican. Okay. However, she went under many different surnames throughout her life in order to disguise her racial origins. So she went by the name Lucy Gonzalez to deny her African roots, and she claimed that her Mexican heritage was the cause of her dark skin. But again, she, according to her, she has zero African ancestry, so we don't really know. But at some point in her early life, she lived with or was married to a former slave named Oliver Gathing, and during their relationship, she had an infant, which died at birth, and then she ended up meeting a man named Albert Parsons, who was speculated to have been a Confederate soldier, But she married him in 1871. Um, However, their marriage was most likely not legal because it was an interracial marriage. And so at the time that wasn't allowed. Uh, But if he was at some point a Confederate soldier, he switched sides real quick. um, And things (laughs) took a major 360 in his life. Absolutely. So in 1872, the South was instituting repressive Jim Crow segregation laws. And so Lucy and Albert were forced to flee. And word on the street is that Albert was helping former slaves register to vote. And he was shot in the leg and was threatened with lynching. So they hightailed it to Chicago, Illinois uh, for that. And also because they were being threatened due to their interracial marriage. So they arrived to Chicago in 1873, and Albert found a job as a printer working for the Chicago Times. And this was like a really sketchy time in the United States, all over the entire country, because the Depression had taken place previously and millions of people were still unemployed. Oh my god, girl. 
history repeats itself. Yeah, right? I know. So Ugh. scary. Actually, really scary. <laughs> so, a year after their arrival to Chicago, the contract labor law was passed that allowed American businesses to contract and bring in immigrant laborers. So, a massive pool of unskilled workers began to grow in Chicago, which then drove the wages lower and lower. Right. Um, also because people were desperate for work at that time. So it was kind of, they were able to kind of take advantage of that as well. So men were building railroads, homes and roads, and women were working in factories. And these immigrant laborers were working extremely long hours. They were desperate to feed their families while the wealthy people who owned factories and railroads were living lavish and comfortable lives, obviously. And then... In the summer of 1877, one of the greatest mass strikes in U.S. history took place in response to the Depression, and rail workers all over the country joined the picket line to protest wage cuts. And then in July, the strike moved to Chicago, where rail workers waged in, like, a full-blown militant battle. They, like, knocked over a train and baggage cars, and they went into full-blown war with police, who attempted to disperse them and break up the strike. And Albert, Lucy's husband was around or there and he addressed crowds of up to 25,000 people to promote peaceful ways of negotiating and this really helped him sort of come into the forefront of the anarchist movement in Chicago which then kickstarted Lucy's relentless work to fight for the working class people. So Albert became a famous radical organizer and speaker and then Lucy concentrated on organizing working women. So because of Albert's involvement in organizing workers, he got fired from his job at the Chicago Times and he was blacklisted in the Chicago printing trade. So to help support her family, Lucy had to get work and she ended up opening up a dress shop and was sewing clothing. And she was hosting meetings for the International Ladies Garment Workers Union. And she ended up finding herself juggling her career that needed to financially support her family, organizing working women, and writing for the radical press. Damn. So... She began to write for publications called The Socialist and The Alarm, which were weekly anarchist publishings by the International Working People's Association, which she and Albert had helped found in 1883. And her most famous article was called The Tramps, which advocated propaganda by deed. And so that was a philosophy that only direct action or the threat of such action will ultimately win the demands of the workers. So she definitely had an aggressive approach and she was kind of like, we're going to fuck shit up if like we don't you know, if we aren't treated properly and if our rights aren't met, like she was, she was ready to go to war. (laughs) Yeah. But that is someone who like has so much on her plate and like, it didn't, it didn't matter. Like what mattered was the big picture. Yeah. And so she was often considered more dangerous than her husband because she was so outspoken in her beliefs on the rights of the poor people And Lucy was also considered a threat and a militant for refusing to assume the role of a homemaker. Scary. What was this again? This was like 1883. Okay. 
Oof. Yeah, so, like, later 1800s. Um, so, yeah, so then in 1887, people across the country started boiling up in resistance to their working conditions, and they were like, F this shit, we are going to demand an eight-hour workday. So they demanded an eight-hour workday as long as there was no cut in their pay. They were like, we want to work eight right. hours, but you aren't allowed to cut our pay down for that. Damn, I wish they had chosen six. <laughs> I wish you could go back and tell them to just change it to six. <laughs> right. And so, I, but you know what? Eight to them was probably six. They were probably oh working God. like 17 yeah. hours or some shit. Yeah. But um, I have thought, like, who came up with eight? Well, Lu- Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, they demanded eight hours of work with no cut in pay. And if this was received with opposition, they were going to strike. So, obviously, it didn't boil over well. They were like, screw you. So, as a result, 350,000 workers across the nation walked off their jobs to participate in a mass general strike. 40,000 of them were in Chicago. Yes. And 40,000 were in Chicago alone. And they were creating a whirlwind of radical activity towards a mass workers' resolution. So on May, I can't get a hundred people to like an Instagram post (laughs) in 2020, but you get (laughs) thousands upon thousands of people across the U.S. before social media. You know that insane some shit yeah Yeah. and so on may 3rd lucy and her family led eighty thousand working people in the world's first may day parade to demand an eight-hour workday a new international holiday was born that day and more than a hundred thousand others also marched in u.s cities so the entire world the entire country was on strike marching for an eight-hour workday that day <laughs> for eight hours oh they, my they God. Out eight. Like, this is, <laughs> right we want you to physically see what this is supposed to look like yep um and then shit got kind of wild so the story takes a real turn for the worst here so oh. a few days after this huge may day parade um a protest rally at mccormick harvest works in chicago became violent as police fired into a crowd of unarmed strikers Many strikers were wounded and four were killed. So, in response to this attack, the radicals called a meeting in Haymarket Square to discuss what had happened. Like, they were like, what the fuck? We were all just continuing our protesting and police showed up and just started shooting at us. Like, what are we going to do about it? And so they had a big old rally about it. And it apparently 2,000 people showed up for this rally to hear what the speakers were saying. And even the mayor of Chicago appeared and attended and he reported that the event was peaceful. However, Mm. after he left and the meeting, not like the number of people there that kind of started to dwindle down a little bit, a huge army of police marched towards the crowd and ordered them to leave. So this pissed off the people because they were like, fuck you. Like, once again, we're having a peaceful protest and you're in here, you're coming through and, you know, barking up the wrong tree. Get the hell out of here. Let us do what we're allowed to do. And so 
unrest kind of started to take place and an unknown person threw a bomb in the crowd of police and killed an officer and a riot broke out in which Uh. both workers and police were injured and killed so shit went down and over the next few days one of the worst violations of u.s civil rights took place as police swept through the town looking for any and all anarchists and radicals Nearly every anarchist and socialist in town was arrested and detained. Many radical anarchist papers were legally shut down, and homes, meeting halls, and offices of eight-hour movement supporters were raided without warrant. So they just stormed in and just started fucking people's shit up. Albert, Lucy's husband, was one of eight men accused of the bombing, although he wasn't even there. And neither were almost all eight of the other men. There was, like, one or two of them that, like, happened to be there. None of them threw the bomb. But they were, like, leaders of this, like, radical anarchist movement. And so the police were, like, we're calling you eight and, like, you're it. You're going to take the blame for this. So, um... Albert went into hiding because he's like, fuck no, like, I'm not getting caught up in this mess. I didn't do it. So he went into hiding and I think... I don't know if a couple of the other dudes or most of them or all of the others got arrested. But during this time, Lucy was under constant surveillance by the police and she was arrested under the slightest suspicions that she knew the whereabouts of her husband. So although authorities looked at Lucy as a threat, she was never charged with conspiracy in the bombing. And the rationale of the authorities was that the chances of a woman being convicted of murder and receiving the death penalty were too slim so they were like we're not even going to arrest her if we're not going to be allowed to kill her you yeah (laughs) and also they thought that if a woman were to stand trial with men it would decrease the chances of the men receiving a harsh conviction cool (laughs) so i guess it worked into her advantage to be a woman (laughs) (laughs) Yes, in that one situation, (laughs) sexism worked in her advantage. Um, So Albert eventually came out of hiding because he felt like shit. He's like, all my closest friends, the people that have been fighting this war with me are being snatched up and they're being put on trial and I can't just let this happen without me at least trying to do something. So he came out of hiding. They caught him. He was captured And he had to stand on trial with the rest of his friends. And so the jury included 12 men who were actively opposed to radicalism. So all of the defendants were found guilty. The men were sentenced to death by hanging. But one of the men decided to commit suicide while in prison. Two more were given life sentences and one received 15 years imprisonment in an appeal. So it really took a turn for the fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah. And Lucy was outraged, but she was also like low key prideful because she was like, if my husband dies, he's going to die for his beliefs. For the the cause. For the cause. Yeah. And she was like, all right, I'm Lucy. I'm going to do what Lucy does. So she went out and had like spearheaded a campaign to try and get people riled up to fight for their release. And so she toured the country, distributing information about the unjust trial to 17 different states. Everywhere she went, she was greeted by armed police who barred her entrance into meeting halls. And 
her attempts to save the lives of the convicted men kind of got like slapped across the face because one of like the leader of her group which was called the knights of labor he basically like he basically like totally fucked them over and was like i'm out of this i'm not getting involved in fact I don't agree with what these guys did. I don't support aggressive protesting. I believe in like a passive, like passive attempts to protest and strike. And um, I can't stand up for these men. And honestly, I think that the government should make an example out of them. Nevertheless, she continued her speaking tour. She gained more and more people's interest in the Haymarket case, and she made a huge name for herself because she blew this thing out of the water by herself alone, traveling across country while supporting her family without her husband, still trying to sell her her garments to make money, still organizing all these, yeah, organizing all these unions. Um, And it sucked. And so... I feel like such a dick for every time I've complained about right? all the shit. I right, have to do. that's what I'm saying, and it's get it still gets worse. So Lucy's efforts did not sway the courts of the governor of Illinois, who was under political pressure to execute the men, even though all evidence against them had been circumstantial. There was no proof of anything. So four men were executed on November 11th, 1887, including Albert. Lucy had brought her two children to see their father one last time, but she was arrested along with her kids, taken to jail, forced to strip, and left naked with her children in a cold cell until the hanging of her husband was over. Her husband's coffin was brought to her apartment the next day, and that was that. And at that point, she vowed to continue to fight for injustice, even though her husband had been killed. And she knew that, like, her own life was at risk as well. Um, And so after Albert's death, 10,000 workers filed through their apartment during the night to view his body. And the next day, 200,000 people lined the streets for the funeral processions of Albert and his fellow martyrs. Wow. Wow insane powerful yeah so after the execution lucy lived in poverty she received eight dollars a week from the pioneer aid and support association which was a group formed to support the families of the haymarket martyrs that were executed they got eight dollars a week (laughs) because their husbands were killed in an unjust trial um and then in 1888 lucy went to london to a do some work out there to get away and she was working with like the socialist league of england and on her return she started to get heavily involved with the struggle for free speech in the u.s which she felt was very repressed in comparison to what she saw in england which like Mm. it was so free so when she got back from england she was like holy shit our country literally doesn't have freedom of speech like this is a joke here and so she she kind of like switched focus and went pretty hardcore on this route and so she briefly published a periodical called freedom a revolutionary anarchist communist monthly she was often arrested for giving public speeches and distributing anarchist literature um but she felt that free speech struggle was an extremely important cause and she was really frustrated that other people didn't fight for it as much as she was 
And so Lucy was super active in every major 20th century workers' defense case. In her articles and speeches, she repeatedly addressed the specific oppressions faced by black people and women. And in 1905, she began editing a paper called The Liberator, where she took her stand on women's issues, equal pay, supporting a woman's right to divorce, to remarry, and to have access to birth control and abortions. And she also wrote a column about famous women and the history of the working class. So she just kept going 100 miles an hour. (laughs) Yeah, it, it just never stopped. Her it did not slow her down. No. Um, and so from 1907 to 1908, there was another period of like huge economic crash. And so, of course, Lucy hops in and is like, what can I do? So she organized um, against hunger and unemployment. And in San Francisco, Lucy took over the unemployment committee, pressuring the state to begin a public works project. Of course, the San Francisco government refused, and they were like, screw you and your dumbass committee. So she organized a march of 10,000 people with unemployed women at the front. And two weeks... And so this is in San Francisco. Yeah. Like, so, she wasn't... She's yep, made her way over. Okay. Yeah. She's just popping all around. Um, and so two weeks after her 10,000-person march... The government then was like, all right, we're listening now. And they began planning for a decentralization of of hunger and unemployment policy. So it's just so cool. Like, you know, she just gets these like she just like finds something that's like this needs improvement. We need this. It doesn't exist. She goes and pitches it, finds out that so many other people are on board People, the government's like, screw you. And then she's like, are you sure? And then like, okay, yep, you mean business. <laughs> you sure? We will, we'll work on this. We'll pass it through. And then it happens. So she clearly Doesn't had like. feel super old too? Like this, own, like sometimes I get in my head like that this, of course, this was 1900 something or early 1900s. So of course you could make those changes. But like, technically that's how shit still works today. Yeah. Like. You just have to be persistent and things can change. It almost feels like we don't have those kind of controls, but we do. Well, you know what? Like, one thing that I was, like, I think a lot about, especially when I cover women like Lucy who have, like, organized huge movements, is that, like, in my time period since I've been alive, like, I can't really think of, like, an individual person other than, like, Greta Thunberg who has, like, run a huge movement and is, like, the face of the movement. You know, what's interesting, though, what? I agree. But until now, until this past election. Yeah, right? This is, like, Stacey Abrams. This is Stacey Abrams 100%. Minus, of course, like, it's 2020, and so things weren't quite as bad for her her on that front in the sense that she was going for what she was going for and then was denied. And then rather than step back, she was like, there is a systemic problem and I'm Mm going to do everything I can for the next two years to make a difference. And it has made a huge impact and it is such a reminder, but no, 
And I'm sure there's people we're missing. Don't you feel sometimes like there's like, there's so much we don't know about? Oh, totally. I think that's also part of it too, is like, there could be people that are doing remarkable things in other areas of the world or even other states and we just don't know about it. Right. But like, I think of like some of these like huge icons like Gloria Steinem or something or Angela Davis, like they were like huge icons for huge movements and they like are the face of that movement. And I feel like I can't really in my lifetime like think of somebody who is the face of it. There's just so many avenues now, I think, that bring attention, whereas, like, she was the source, Mm -hmm. right? She was the source of a lot of things, whereas Mm -hmm. now there's just a lot of, it's so quickly out there, like, where did it even come from? Yeah, Like, when you learned about where the Me Too movement actually came from, you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. Like, that wasn't even the person that we thought it was. Like, I think that 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 doesn't happen as much then because it was such a less of a broad audience and a broad, like, stage. And now it's just, like, fire when things come out. It's just, like, it spreads. True or not, like, it spreads super quick, you know? Absolutely. So... In 1925, Lucy began working for the newly formed Communist Party. It's up for debate as to whether she actually joined the Communist Party or not. She was forever, like, associated with the Socialist Party and the Anarchist Party. But she started to get pissed off with the Anarchists because at one period of time, they were really, like doing anarchy and fighting for rights and like fucking things up and then over time they kind of just like mellowed out and they weren't really making huge stances anymore and she didn't feel like they were motivating the people towards a revolution and she wanted she felt like there needed to be a revolution in order for there to be change like action needs to happen for change to come through So she kind of left the anarchist group and she started, like, getting in cahoots with the communists. Um, And then in 1930s, she was close to 80 years old and she's extremely poor. So she's been doing this shit this whole time. (laughs) And so by the by the time the 1930s rolled around, she's. 80, extremely poor, and she was walking six miles to downtown Chicago to sell socialist and communist pamphlets, and she was counted on for every single major picket line and rally against capitalist injustice in her 80s. And by 1941, Lucy was still very poor. Her eyesight was failing to the point that she was living on a pension for the blind, But at this time, the Farm Equipment Workers Union reached out and they asked her to give an inspirational speech to its workers. It's like the giving tree. She's like the giving tree. They're like, hey, you just got one branch left, but stick it out. Help! We need you! Um... And so, a few months later, she was able to ride as the guest of honor on their May Day parade float, which is so sweet because she, you know, was a huge face of the May Day, that the original May Day. So it's nice that she got to feel that, you know, that still that like she made a difference. Absolutely. And so, really sadly, after this happened a year later, Lucy was basically blind at this point. And she was at home, and her wood stove caught fire, and she was trapped in her burning house and died. She was around 89 years old, and she had a lover, by the way, 
at 89 oh, years old. And his name was George Markstall. And he ended up dying the following day from wounds that he received while trying to save her life. So... Dude, you were like, wow, this is kind of heavy. It's like, so heavy. <laughs> I would have taken a few less sips of wine. That's so deep. <laughs> Isn't it? Damn. And it still gets worse. So... No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think I'm losing internet connection here. No, okay. Okay. So, she Bring was it. she was buried next to her husband Albert at a cemetery mm-hmm. that was near the Haymarket Martyrs Monument in Forest Park, Illinois, which is basically where that bomb went cool. off and they all yeah, got arrested. So, um she got married with her husband right over there, or I'm sorry, she got buried with her husband right over there. And then to add on to the tragedy of Lucy's death, her library of 1,500 books on sex, socialism, and anarchy were mysteriously stolen, Mm. along with all of her personal papers following the fire. Mm. Um, The FBI basically confiscated all of it and snatched it out of her house after she died and took it. And so her struggle for fundamental freedom of speech continued throughout her death as authorities still tried to silence this radical woman by robbing her of all of the work she'd done throughout her entire lifetime. Wow. So super fucked up. Um, and the reason why we know this is because... I was going to say, how do we know all this stuff? We know this because she had a very close friend. I can't remember his name, but he knew of this library in her house. And he would come over all the time and spend time with her and they'd read books and whatever. And so after she died, I think her husband who had lived another day but then died had told that dude like get over to the house and like get all of lucy's books we want those to be saved like get them and when he showed up all the fbi were in her house and the entire library was gone and so he's like where the fuck are all of where's the library like what the hell and they were like oh we don't know what you're talking about they're mysteriously vanished we have no clue and it's like no one was there but the fucking police and the fbi so but i can't think of like how i mean how awful obviously and what a tragedy and what an amazing woman but also how fucking cool that your shit was worth the government not wanting to know about you know like you've what a breath of work you know like that she had so i think it's sick that we're honoring that because without you sharing this and other people sharing her story everyone would want it quiet you know so well and so it's funny because the chicago police department described Lucy Parsons to be more dangerous than 1,000 rioters. That's like a famous quote that's associated with Lucy when you look into her. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, the Fraternal Order of Police tried but failed to stop the naming of a Chicago park after Lucy Parsons. In 2004, they were still threatened by her to the point that they tried to stop the naming of a park after her. So people wouldn't know her story or look into who she was or any of it. Yes. 
And despite her relentless work fighting for working people, for women, for people of color, for her country, her name has yet to find its place in schools, in textbooks, or in Hollywood movies. Uh, How cool, but it's here on this podcast right now. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Wow, that's super heavy. But Such- I can't even feel bad. I can't even feel bad about like <laughs> how like shitty that made me feel because that's like worth caring. Her impact was so. Well, huge. That's what I'm saying. After I like did all this research, I was like, oh my god, I did not know how much of a fight it was for basic labor laws. And she had all the thing. Like I get that labor laws, but like. There were so many other things that come into play, injustices that come into play. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was an inspirational inspirational switch to switch to freedom of speech, because, like, at the core of everything, Mm -hmm. like, that's... Yeah. Well, also, she was really like i think obviously labor and union and work and labor laws and workers rights but i think her even more so than that i think the full compass of what she was pissed about was the way capitalism worked she was really mad that some people got to be super super rich living these lavish lifestyles while taking advantage of immigrants who were struggling to feed their families being paid these ridiculous wages for these long hours and she was like this is fucked up and this isn't right and capitalism's a piece of shit and like it's you're oppressing people and yeah. i'm not gonna allow it to happen and so we have some really sugar-coated stuff right now you know in this country but but with that being said there's some really non-sugar-coated shit in other countries where they're like no we're not trying to hide it like it's still 1850 over here. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. I think, I don't even know how you came upon this, but I do think it's absolutely perfect. That was It a really is, right? That's why I was like, oh my God, I feel like she's somebody that we can all today be so thankful for, especially as, you know, we sit down with our families and have money to buy a turkey or have wine or my enormous champagne bottles that I bought to celebrate like all these things that I'm able to have this house because I can afford it with my job and you know just having a salary that I live on being able to pay for my Subaru Crosstrek monthly bill like just things like that you know I just feel like today if she was around today don't you think she would be like what you have is not enough Probably. She'd be calling calling my CEO and being like, what the fuck's going on? What are you doing? (laughs) Sitting on that couch, bitch, taking that salary. Like, get to to advocating. That's not equal to your counterpart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So super thankful for her and all that, her husband, Albert, all of the people that were in all of those riots and rallies and strikes and protests, everybody that marched on May Day, all those workers that walked out of their jobs to fight for a hour, eight hour work day, like super thankful that all those people dedicated all that time for the cause. And I can't ever talk shit again about my job. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I still will, but, you know, (laughs) I'll, like, really think hard about it before I do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I know. Let's be real. (laughs) I'm just going to think it in my head. I'm going to start saying it out loud. (laughs) 
perfect. Don't give it oh voice, but yeah, God. it's still in there. Everyone needs to know that. <laughs> yeah. So really crazy. Um, it's just super wild. Also, I found her because I have so many um, women in history books that I reference every now and then. Yeah. When I'm, I'm looking for some inspo. That's um, awesome. So yeah, Good choice. Yay! Yeah. I'm Yay! Woohoo! Well, that was awesome. Thank you this so much great. for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hell yeah! Oh, it's so inspiring. Just even, um, just even this hearing one other woman's story. Right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's you yeah. learn a lot, and you can't help but feel like emotionally touched by it. I'm, at least I do. <laughs> I always feel like I've like gained a new friend every time I yeah, research someone's life, and I'm just blown away. You're all connected, you right? Know, somehow you feel more connected. Yeah, yeah totally. So awesome. super cool. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode, and I hope that you think about these women while you celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday today um, and all week with your families. And just be thankful for all of these badass women that have done some really, really phenomenal things in the world to make change and to make sure that the rest of us live a better life than, you know, what they had. So super thankful and I love all of you guys and stay tuned for next week's episode. We have another Everyday Woman series featuring literally our very first organic fan that we have ever had since we launched. Somebody that I somehow found on Twitter and she listened to the podcast and she was the first person that ever reached out and said she was a listener and she loved our show. And we've come full circle almost a year and a half later and now she's a guest on Everyday Woman. She has an awesome story. So stay tuned for that and I'll see you next week. and empower all your female friends because they kick fucking ass bye